From Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 32, hear now God's word. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, uh, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And then from Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. And thus far the reading of God's word and all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. A friend of mine wrote this week and said this. He actually started by quoting G.K. Chesterton, who once wrote to a newspaper to answer the question that had been posed, What is wrong with the world? And Chesterton wrote back and just said, Dear sirs, I am. That's what's wrong with the world. And my friend continued, And we should feel the weight of that reality, for we are all the worst sinners we know. But praise God that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, even the foremost. We began every week, as we did today, by confessing our corporate sins and receiving an assurance of our pardon from God. Our liturgy is practice for life. Therefore, we have some notion of what it means to confess our sins and to be forgiven. So we model that here in this formal service so that as we go out the door and we confess our sins to the Lord as they occur in our homes, on our knees, we also know what it is to be assured of his pardon in Christ. But like all forms... It is easy for us to sinfully forget the substance of what we're doing, and then it just becomes formalism, and God hates formalism, form without substance. So as a result, it might not occur to us that we're uh, to actually be confessing and repenting of our sins toward one another as we seek that forgiveness. Moreover, we might not comprehend what it means when we tell someone that their sins are forgiven. At the heart of the gospel, the the good news is that our sins have been forgiven by God. They have been forgotten. The debt has been canceled. We were in debtor's prisons. We had no prison. We had no way to pay the debt. And thus we were taught to pray, Lord, Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do it the way we do it, Lord. Do it toward us the way we do it toward others. 
2 Corinthians 5.21, For he, the Father, made him, Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. And as a result, the only debt we now owe him is a debt of love and gratitude. That's all you owe God right now is love and gratitude. And that's going to have particular expression. Because man's greatest need is for forgiveness. It is so easy for us as Christians to forget what it means to come to Christ and to be forgiven. We take it for granted. A vigorous sense of our own forgiveness, though, is essential if we are going to live with one another. And this is why we take the Lord's Supper each week. It is a reminder It reminds the Lord, actually, it is a calling on him to remember Christ, to remember what he's done in Christ so that he doesn't remember our sins, and for us to remember the Lord's death and proclaim it until he comes. Without this, we tend to lack the proper forgiving attitude toward others. Being a forgiven people makes Christians unique, and we should be thankful for it. Having been forgiven brings with it, though, the responsibility of forgiving others. That is how we express our love and gratitude to God. How can you love God who you haven't seen if you don't love your brother who you have seen? And so this is where the rubber hits the road. This is where we see it. Ephesians 4.32, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted. That's an attitude, right? I'm soft toward you, not hard, not withdrawn, not uh, with my eyebrows down, but rather open, willing, wanting reconciliation, wanting communion, wanting fellowship. Yeah, there's you sin. I sin. That's why we need to deal with this and do it the way God did it with us. Being a forgiven people makes us unique. And uh, Within our families and within the Christian community, there should be much forgiveness going on all the time. The Christian home and the church are prime areas for seeking and granting forgiveness. Why? Because we're to love our neighbors, and that's where our neighbors are. They're at our house. They're at our church. And then from there, the circle expands. They're wherever we go. Romans 12:18 If it is possible as much as it depends on you not the other person live peaceably with all men and that involves forgiveness since we owe God a debt of gratitude for our own forgiveness we demonstrate that gratitude by our forgiving others show me Of course we are obligated to forgive Matthew 18:23 through 35 is a graphic parable that makes the Christian obligation to forgive quite plain. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had uh, that made that payment be made. The servant, therefore, fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, 
and I'll pay it all. So remember, there's somebody with a large debt he can't pay, and he's crying out for mercy. And the master of that servant was moved with compassion and released him and forgave him his debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and laid hands on him and took him by the throat and said, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I'll pay you all. And he would not. And he went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. And they were uh, then, then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant. I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart. Boy, there's that Bible standard again. Does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Forgiveness is so basic that there is a great emphasis in Scripture on this. Not just Christ's forgiveness of us, but our forgiveness of others. So again, Matthew 5 teaches us that forgiveness uh, that leads to reconciliation takes precedent over worship. You go to make your offering in worship and you remember, you remember that you've offended someone, leave your offering and go be reconciled. Matthew 18 teaches us that church discipline is tied to the willingness or the unwillingness of brothers to forgive one another. It's, it's rooted in repentance, turning from sin, extending grace and forgiveness. Jack Winslow, the head of a large British mental institution, declared, quote, I could dismiss half my patients tomorrow if they could be assured of forgiveness. So what is forgiveness? The Hebrew word, salak, means to lighten by lifting. So it's focused on the result of forgiveness, to lift the load, if you will. It's translated forgive or pardon, and it's always used of God forgiving man, taking the burden away. Numbers 14, 19 through 20. Pardon the iniquity of this people. I pray according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned. I have lifted the burden according to your word or as you have asked. Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 17 begins, they refused to obey and they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them. But they hardened their necks, and in their rebellion they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. But you are God, ready to pardon, ready to lift the burden, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. Think about that. Does that describe you in regard to how people who've sinned against you? Are you gracious and merciful, slow to anger? And abundant in kindness? Is that you? That's the standard. 
Psalm 103.3, who forgives all your iniquities. Same word. Who heals all your diseases. In other words, who lifts the burden. But there is forgiveness. That is a lifting of the burden with you, Lord, that you may be feared. Let the wicked forsake his way, Isaiah 55, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Take away the burden. Jeremiah 31, 34, No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will pardon, or I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. Another Hebrew word is nasa, meaning to take away by lifting up uh, or off. And in other contexts, the word is used to speak of lifting up the eyes or the head or the face, the voice, the heart, the hands. Or of carrying a child's clothes or bearing fruit as a tree does and of suffering and enduring. The main idea is that of carrying off sin, taking out the trash. Genesis 50, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. And again in Exodus 34, And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord our God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. But again, to those who find mercy in the Lord, there is a taking away of iniquity. Again, Psalm 32, 1 and 5, Blessed is he whose transgression is taken away, thrown away. Whose sin is covered. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave. You took away the iniquity of my sin. New Testament words. Afiemi, meaning to let go, to release, to remit. It's similar to lifting. It often refers to a canceled debt or a release, the release of a prisoner. The concept has reference to a debt that hangs over a person all the time. The collectors are calling, knocking on your door, looking for you. The release from this obligation conveys one important aspect of forgiveness. Just some references here. Colossians 1.14, in whom... Speaking of Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. Our sins are lifted, taken away. But he who blasphemes, Mark 3.29, he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. Ephesians 1.7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness, the taking away, the lifting up of sins according to the riches of his grace. Acts 5.31, Him God has exalted to His right hand to be the Prince and Savior, to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. 
Acts 13, 38. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. I mean, it's central to everything in the gospel. Acts 26, 18. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive the forgiveness of sins. Remember we said we said in Sunday school, sins are when we replace God's word with our word. When we say you're not God and I'm God, I'm going to do it my way, not your way. And Jesus came to change that, to say we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to turn you around. And now you're going to say, Lord, you're the Lord and not me. I'm going to follow you, not me. I've been following me, and that hadn't worked out well at all. It's led to bondage. It's led to debt. It's led to death. And you now are setting me free. You're opening the prison door. You're canceling the debt. Now I can live. Now I have freedom. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. But you need Jesus to take your sins and throw them in the dump. Another Greek word that, has, uh, that is used is uh, charismia, which means favor or grace. And we think about charismatic, that is a gift. And so to bestow forgiveness freely is a gift. There's no obligation here. This forgiveness is always undeserved by the one who receives it. Are you waiting for somebody to clean up their act before you forgive them? You want them to pay you back first? Well, that's not forgiveness. That's paying a debt. Forgiveness is canceling a debt. The gift of forgiveness actually cost the forgiver, not the receiver, this is the word that's used in Ephesians 4.32. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Giving forgiveness to one another, just as God in Christ gave it to you. Again, used in Colossians 2.13. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made alive together with him, having given or forgiven you all your trespasses. And in the text we read this morning, Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ gave you forgiveness, you give that other person forgiveness. Jesus uses this word in the story of the two debtors who owe different amounts. In Luke 7.42-43, and when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. So what does it mean to forgive? Forgiveness is a promise to forget. And so it's true that we should forgive and forget. Those go together. It is a promise, not a feeling. The therapeutic therapeutic forgiveness insists that forgiveness is at its core a feeling. Our culture has picked up on this in a big way, and when most people say they forgive, they mean that it is a private matter in which they are not going to feel bitter toward you anymore. 
But biblical forgiveness is something that happens between two parties. It's a sort of transaction. When God forgives us, our relationship with him is immediately restored. This is why Calvin said that the whole of the gospel is contained under under the headings of repentance and forgiveness of sins. That's it. Everything else is underneath that. We are commanded to forgive, and feelings cannot be commanded. Jesus said, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day, and seven times a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Feelings are the result of obedience or disobedience, not the cause of obedience or disobedience. When God forgave you in Christ, he promised not to remember your sins and iniquities anymore. And you think God literally forgets? No, he's omniscient. So this kind of forgetfulness is a deliberate, intentional saying, I'm putting them over here and I'm not going to hold them against you anymore. When someone asks you for forgiveness, that is what they are asking you to do. And this is why I I don't really like the word apologize because I think it is ambiguous and less clear. Actually, the word apologia means to make a defense. When you grant a person forgiveness, you have promised not to remember their sins anymore, not to hold it against them anymore. And that means in your relationship. The promise of forgetting. I will not bring it up to you again. I will not bring it up to God again. I will not bring it up to others. And the hard one is, I will not even bring it up to me anymore. Asking and granting forgiveness implies a future effort to work for a new biblical relationship. Ah, but we've been here before. We've been here many times. Yeah, well, you may be here many more times. How many times have you sinned against God? I mean, this week. Maybe this morning. You want him to just say, that's enough. We've been here before. I've heard you confess this sin a thousand times, and I don't want to hear it anymore. When you mean it, come back and talk to me. Is that what he does? Asking forgiveness is a commitment to a future effort to work for a biblical relationship. When God reconciled us to himself, he didn't leave the matter with forgiveness. Once the sin was forgiven, he insisted on building a new and proper relationship with us. And he calls us and he does this every week to sit down and to eat with him. Joyfully, not begrudgingly. Here, eat something. No. Forgiveness is a transaction. There's a debt that is genuinely owed. The person owes the debt, can't pay it. He cannot unscramble this egg, and it doesn't prevent, this doesn't present rest, prevent restitution. But restitution cannot fully pay the debt. If I steal from you, I might be able to pay back what I stole, but I can't repair all the damage. What about the fear and the mistrust and the anxiety that went with that? Can I restore that? 
You see, there's a debt genuinely paid and canceled. The person doing the forgiving is assuming the debt himself. And this is saying to the person who's seeking the forgiveness that his debt has been canceled and therefore they can't owe you anything. You owe me. If you're keeping score, then tell God that that's how you would like him to deal with you. Lord, I'd like you to keep score between me and you. And pay me accordingly. That's how I want to, I want you to deal with my sin the way I deal with his sin or her sin. That's how I want it done. Now love does cover a multitude of sins. And we should all practice this often. And we should be thankful that others practice this often. In other words, we don't have to have a, a meeting about every little thing. You can just, you know, love, let love cover that sin. Nevertheless, this is not an excuse to hold on to sins. That's if you can really cover it. If you can really cover them or really let go, then this kind of grace is really helpful. But what uh, what we cannot do is say that we have forgiven, and then every time there's a bump in the road of the relationship, a remembrance of those sins comes popping back up to the surface because I've got them handy. I have them in this bag right behind me ready for the use when I need it. You see, God loves you in spite of your sins. He moves to do something about our sins because he loves us and because he wants us to be set free and to live. We thought sinning was going to set us free, that we would get what we want and then we could live. He said, that's a lie. That's the devil's lie. When we truly love one another in Christ, our tender hearts will seek the good of those who have sinned against us. I'm not here to give you a piece of my mind and to tell you off and tell you what you did to me. I'm here because I love you and I, and what you've done has put a breach between me and you. And that breaks my heart and you can't possibly be right with God as long as that's there. I've come because I love you and I want to be restored in that relationship. We will lovingly and sacrificially seek their good as we work to restore broken relationships. The deeper we own our sins, that is, we stop minimizing our sins, then the deeper the forgiveness, the deeper the liberty, the deeper the joy. In 2016, I wrote a... uh, blog post, and I'm going to read that to you. title of this is The Very Best Gift. Forgiveness is the very best gift of all. It recovers what was lost and restores what was broken. It helps the helpless and gives hope to the hopeless. It's so powerful that Jesus tells us that there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. Forgiveness is predicated on repentance, which is itself a gift from God, 1 Timothy 2.25. We have all known both sides of this equation, having repented many times from our sins and also having many times received the gift of forgiveness. It is all grace from first to last. 
As we imitate Christ, our relationships are sustained by this process, heeding the admonition of the Apostle Paul to forgive one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. We soon see that our marriages, families, churches, and friendships depend upon the ill-deserved favor of others. When God forgives us, he does so at his own expense. He picks up the tab. Likewise, when we forgive others, when we or when they forgive us, we or they are paying the price to remove the sin that and to maintain the relationship. Upon receiving such forgiveness, our only proper response is gratitude and fresh commitment to avoid the sins that created the breach in the first place. Note it is remarkable how much daily misery people will endure when forgiveness and reconciliation is two minutes away. We'll walk around all day long with a scowl on our face, pouting, not talking to someone who we say is our brother or sister in Christ, when if we would just humble ourselves for half a second and sit down and say, you know what, I love you very much, and this is so disturbing, and I want us to find a way of reconciliation. Can we first pray about this and then talk? We have all incurred debts, little ones and big ones, As your pastor, I have known most of you long enough to recognize that forgiveness offered and received is central to who you are as a follower of Jesus Christ. The world can't comprehend such love and grace. It's unnatural. Yet as recipients of supernatural grace, we have the privilege of showing that grace to others. 2 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is... A new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Got that? He reconciled us to himself and now we have a ministry, a service of reconciliation. That is... That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Forgiveness of sins, which pays for and removes the debt, restores the relationship. It reconciles the account so that all is good. A new foundation is established, and this is a happy thing. Now, I'm going to close today with a prayer uh, written by Anastina Wiles, who I don't know, but uh, this is a prayer to pray before you ask for forgiveness. Lord, I have yet again fallen short. I sinned against another, and in doing so, I have not only hurt them, but also added brokenness to a broken world, sinning against your creation, sinning against you, and grieving your spirit. I am sorry. Though I am sorry, there are even now parts of me that, instead of experiencing conviction and remorse, continue to seek justification for my choices, my actions, my words. 
O Lord, grant that such self-righteous pride not long grow in my heart. Instead, root it from me as a weed from a garden, as I strive to perceive the whole of my sin, to understand its rippling and varied consequences, give me clarity and sensitivity to recognize the pain I have caused. Please, Lord, if my sin bears long-term consequences for this other person, you fill in the blank, the name. Meet them in the midst of any suffering or injury. Heal them from the wounds I have inflicted so that in time they might live wholly unencumbered by my wrong actions, flourishing as though this misdeed was naught or nothing. And if there are actions I can undertake to promote their healing, please bring those actionable ideas to my mind and a faithful determination to my heart. Instill in me a penitent spirit that my soul would conform more to Christ's image so that in the future I would shy away from uh, repeating my sin. Moreover, when I seek forgiveness, help me approach the conversation with humbleness and contrition, all the more because I now find myself apprehensive and uncomfortable preparing to ask for forgiveness. Steady my nerves and my resolve. Help me find caring words that convey my real love, concern, and sorrow. Give me grace and wisdom to respond well in the dialogue I am about to initiate. And Lord, please also be with, and again you fill in the name, as I seek forgiveness. I ask you, spare their heart from carrying a destructive bitterness. Give them forgiveness over the pain I've inflicted and a desire to repair the damage I have caused in our relationship. Thank you, Lord, for extending grace to me even before I sinned. Thank you for your perpetual forgiveness that no matter how my seeking repentance is received by another person, I rest in you. For you, O Lord, ever just, ever merciful, have already wiped this guilt and shame from me and robed me in Christ's righteousness, freeing my soul from bondage that I may sit in the already and not yet with the forgiven sinners at your great table, reveling in your glad presence. Keep my conscience, keeper of my conscience, convict me, healer of my brokenness, mend me, wellspring, of my joy. Refresh me. Amen. There is power in forgiveness. The words, I forgive you, are performative. That is, they actually accomplish what they say uh, by being spoken. Thus, each week, as the pastor declares the assurance of pardon from the Word of God, the act, uh, this act of uttering those words to another person, you do the deed, you make the promise, you cancel the debt, and you lift the burden of guilt. 
You don't need to add any additional words or or ritual to remove the offender's guilt or to make the promise that you will remember their sins no more. Like the words that the minister uses at a wedding, I now pronounce you husband and wife. The words, I forgive you, actually achieve the end in view. And when you tell someone that you forgive them, forgiveness takes place. He has forgiven you on the spot. The relationship is restored, and we start fresh. As we come to the Lord's table each week, we come to renew covenant with him. We have failed, we have sinned again, and sometimes the very same sins he has forgiven us of before. But we come back over and over to be forgiven and restored. It's really something we have to do daily, if not many times daily, and if that's true with us and with us in God then we will likely need to seek each other's forgiveness often as well. And just as God is eager to grant us that forgiveness, so too we should be ready to grant forgiveness to one another. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Amen. Father, indeed, we rejoice. We are exceedingly glad because our sins have been taken away. And we have been restored in communion with you. And not just you, but with one another. We thank you that you have done this, that it is accomplished in Jesus Christ. And we thank you that that bears fruit in our lives day after day after day after day. Help us now, Lord, to go forth with humility, full of grace, tender-hearted, eager to forgive. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Now receive the benediction of the Lord from 1 John 5. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Amen. Amen.